Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. I want you to join me, if you will, tonight in the book of Ephesians. In chapter 4, I'm going to read two verses that are um, quite familiar, perhaps to some, maybe not all. And um, we're going to be going through a lot of scriptures tonight. Some I will just refer to and others that will be on the screen. But I want to take a journey. I don't want to just talk at you this evening. I don't ever want to do that. I hope that we can begin somewhere and make full circle and come back and have all of this make sense. But um, I want you tonight, I want us to leave here feeling differently about our position in the kingdom of God, our role in the local church, and uh, realize that God has called us for such a time as this. He's called us, not just a few, not just some in this church or in a church, but he's called us. The book of Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 11, the Bible says, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Amen. And from these two verses, I want to speak from this subject tonight, the purpose of ministry, the purpose of ministry. Praise God. And, and you can be seated if you'd like, but I really want you to stay connected with me tonight. As I mentioned, this is a familiar passage of Scripture, and I believe that it is a passage that is pivotal in understanding not only the, not only the importance, but the purpose of, the, of ministry in, in general, or ministry at large. I believe it's important to understand who we are. I think it's important to understand our respective role, most certainly within the context of, of church, the local assembly, and um, not just while we're here in church in an organized effort of a corporate service like this evening, but in the context of church. I think it's fair to say that, that to some degree, we all struggle to find, um, maybe to find our identity in the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God, that sounds very vast and very spiritual and almost mystical. But sometimes finding our place or our identity within the framework of the church, the local church. And I think finding our identity or being secure uh, in our identity and confident in who we are um, also has to go hand in hand with, with being confident in who we aren't. Amen. We have to feel and figure the will and the way of God. In the scripture, we are introduced to a, a young man by the name of David, and we're going to take a familiar path here for a moment because I want to bring to light some of his struggles so that we can compare them to ours or 
perhaps his potential struggles. It was during a very special ceremony at his father's house that we were introduced to young David. The prophet Samuel had been sent by the Lord to anoint a new king of Israel, and all of Jesse's sons are passed before Samuel. And uh, Of course, the father, Jesse, thinks for sure it's going to be this one or this one. He's sort of in his mind already knows the end of that story. But after all the sons had passed before Samuel, he knew that the Lord had not chosen any of them to be the next king. And so when he said to Jesse, are here all thy sons? Is, is this everything you have to offer? Jesse says there is the youngest and he is out tending sheep. And with that, I believe something quickened in the heart of Saul or Samuel. And he knew at that moment that that is the missing element or that is the missing piece because here's what his reply was. He said, send and fetch him. But that's not all he said. He said, send and fetch him. We will not sit down until he's here. He was, he was so confident we're not even going to get in a relaxed posture because I believe that this is the missing element to this story. And so a, a servant was sent to the shepherd's field, relays the message to David and let's just put ourselves in David's skin for just a moment. David's doing what David does. David's doing this day what he has done many, many days before. He is in the shepherd's field. He is alone. He is tending sheep. And the next news he knows, he is standing before the prophet Samuel. What could Samuel possibly want with me? Can you imagine the things that went through his mind? If the governor of our state were to summons us and say, I'd like to have lunch with you tomorrow at noon. Uh, we'd have quite a conversation with ourselves from here to Tallahassee, wouldn't we? And I'm wondering what in the world could this be about? And so here is a, a messenger that is sent that says, Samuel needs to see you. And so David is standing in the field doing what David does. And the next news, he is standing in front of the prophet, in front of his whole family. And Samuel is talking to him about his future. And his future, not as one of the greatest shepherds of all time, and not that he has been promoted and he's going to get double the sheep and double the responsibility, that he is going to be the next king of Israel. And then with that, Samuel lifts the horn of oil, poured it on David's head. And from that moment, David's life was changed. But I would also submit to you that in that very moment, the struggle with his identity began. Because this morning when he woke up, he knew, who, he knew who he was. He, he was reminded. He, he smelled like a shepherd. He looked like a shepherd. He, he had all the shepherd stuff. He had the staff, and, and he could hear the bleeding of the sheep. And, and then in a, in a moment of time, everything changes. And so we think about that, that in, after that grand announcement and that holy anointed moment, that the crowd went home and the excitement of that extraordinary few minutes faded away and here is David left with the realization that he is still responsible for sheep and I know this has been stated again and again but please let me remind you that David was not whisked away to the palace there was not a beautiful chariot that was waiting for him to take him to the throne but David just simply turned around and went back to the same field Tending the same sheep. Now, just pretend all you want to, but I think that'd be a little confusing. I mean, we just had this grand ceremony. 
The prophet of prophets is standing before me. He has anointed me. The memory of that sacred moment, the smell of that anointing oil still on him, the wonder of what has just taken place is no doubt confusing, and it's possible that he had some legitimate questions. He has to walk back to that field asking, am I a shepherd or am I a king? I, I mean, he told me I was a king, but I still feel like a shepherd. I still look like a shepherd. I still smell like a shepherd. I still have on a shepherd's garment, a shepherd's staff. He's asking himself, am I the least in my father's house or am I the greatest in the kingdom? I mean, I'm confused because I was the younger brother this morning. I was not even considered in the initial invitation. I was left out of the whole thing. And now I am told that I'm the greatest. And I think they are legitimate questions, but this was just the beginning. Because the next few years of his life, saw, we saw David, historically we look at David and he fought a lion and a bear. His talent for being able to play a harp led him to be a featured musician in the king's court, in Saul's court. He found himself in a battle staring at a giant while the rest of Israel's warriors stood back in fear. And so the struggle with his identity became even more complex. It was first, am I a shepherd or a king? Am I the least in my father's house or am I the greatest in the nation? But he found himself being rejected by the king. He found himself on the run for his life. He found himself living in caves and he found himself trying to make friends with the enemy. And there is no doubt in my mind that David questioned his purpose. What am I supposed to be doing? Am I a shepherd? Am I a musician? Am I a warrior? Am I a king? I mean, he had to feel like a tennis ball at some point in all of this. What is my purpose? What am I supposed to be doing? He struggled to see himself for who he really was. We get a glimpse of this in the book of Psalms, chapter 22 and verse 6, because David transparently said, Am I a worm and not a man? <laughs> Amen. This is not a man that's, you know, that's, that's chronically feeling sorry for himself, but he's confused by all the things that happened in his life. But eventually, of course, he found his place. And that happened because he listened to the right voices in his life. And those voices helped him to come to an understanding of who he really was. Because in Psalms 139 and 14, he made this statement, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. David is coming to center with what God has called him to do. And in the end, all that mattered to David was this fact. He knew that his entire identity was found in the hands of his creator. Amen. Now, we don't have to be uh, trained in psychology or have a degree of any sort to notice that many people, especially in our society today, are unsure of who they really are. And that alone is a message in and of itself because there is a severe identity crisis in our world. And I'm, I mean severe. This is a very demonic spirit that is tormenting the minds and the hearts of many, many people, and I know that there's a, uh, often a, a propensity to try to just pin this or uh, to couch this within the context of America's youth or the world's youth, but it's not just among young people. I, I do, 
I would agree that predominantly there is a pressure because our youth are exposed to many things in public schools and other places that, that, uh, that create this identity crisis. But there is a real identity, identity crisis going on in our world. And sadly, some people spend their entire lives trying to figure out who they really are. Now, this is not a psychology course or class, but it's the truth. And there are people that, that constantly adopt the latest fads in a desperate attempt to try to find themselves in the world. And so whatever's going on, they just kind of get on that train, whatever it happens to be. They stand by ready to change the course of their entire lives at the whim of society. And you can't hook your wagon to that star because that's a moving star. And so at times, you know, it's, it's popular. One hairstyle is popular. But just hold on. It'll, it'll change. And it'll change radically. Because there's one thing about fads. They're never subtle. <laughs> they're, I mean, it's an all or nothing. It's an all or nothing game. And if we're not careful, even sometimes Christians can fall into this trap. And, and we can allow certain decisions or lifestyle choices that are dictated in our culture at large to sort of sway how we feel or how we believe. But I will tell you that as we read the New Testament, we can understand that this is not a new problem. This is not something just relegated to our day and age because the, the Apostle Paul addressed the mentality of this through his epistles to the first churches. Their early Christians, the early Christians in the church in the city of Corinth seemed especially susceptible. As you read about the churches and the letters to the churches, they seemed especially susceptible to the influence of their community's culture. And so the church was called to come out, and the church has always been called to come out. Come out from among you, and when we got to be separate, that's, that's saith the Lord. That's not our opinion. The Lord has called the church to come out. And so Paul addresses a number of issues that had come up in this church. For example, in 1 Corinthians 6, Paul rebuked them for seeking, um, when there were disputes in the church, they were just going to secular court to settle their disputes. And Paul rebuked them for that. Instead of asking God for wisdom to solve their problems as brothers and sisters in Christ, the Corinthians were looking to the judicial system to solve problems that were within the church. I'm not being critical of our judicial system, but I'm telling you that it is scriptural that we resolve our own problems in-house. Amen. If I have a problem with Brother Larry, I, I, we need to settle that here, not in a courthouse. Amen. Amen. And that's, that's scripture. And uh, they didn't understand that when they were born again, they had undergone a change of identity that we're a part of the body of Christ. So to help them understand what happened at conversion, Paul reminded them of what they used to be before they met the Lord. And so in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10, Paul lists several things and, and, and that would prohibit people from inheriting the kingdom of God. Now, that's a serious thing. These are things that would prohibit you from inheriting the kingdom of God. It was not a pleasant list. It is not a pleasant list. But then in verse 11, as, as Paul is living, giving this long laundry list, then in verse 11, Paul says, and such were some of you. So that kind of leveled the playing field, but he didn't just stop there. It wasn't just a rebuke, but it was a rebuke with information. He says, and such were some of you. He said, but 
But ye are washed, and ye are sanctified, and ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of our God. This is what you were, but this is who you are. And so when we put our faith in the Lord, repent of our sins, and we're baptized in his name and filled with his Spirit, we are born again. If I could say it another way, we are a new person in Christ. We have a new identity. No longer sinners, but we have a calling upon our lives when we are filled with the Spirit of God and that calling is to be called saints. Amen. Saints. The word saints in its English form occurs most frequently in the New Testament in the epistles of Paul. As a matter of fact, out of 62 times that the word saints is mentioned in the New Testament, in the entire New Testament, 40 of those 62 times come from the pen of Paul. Paul addresses the saints. The definition for the word saints means set apart for God. Not set apart, but set apart for God. Because you have to come out of something, but you also have to connect yourself to something else. And so we're set apart for God. We're exclusively his. And so today the word saints um, has kind of almost fallen by the wayside. Um, it's not really a, that popular of a word. I'm not saying it's a distasteful thing, but many times people use the word, uh, we're believers. And I'm not necessarily saying that's altogether wrong uh, because I am a believer, but I, I believe that we need to stay connected to the word saint. And I'm going to try to underline that before we leave here at 10 o'clock this evening. <laughs> Amen. There's something powerful, connected, to the title, saint, saint. Now I realize this is a title that we would feel woefully awkward about using, but it's really a title that's given to us by the Lord. And so if we just kind of stay our minds within the framework or the context of the church, we're not really all that uncomfortable as introducing ourselves. If I'm in the company of someone, I'm meeting someone, in the framework of church, I don't do this in the hardware store, but if in the, in the context of the church, I'm not uncomfortable saying my name is Brother Steve Boyd or Brother Boyd. I'm not uncomfortable with that at all. And um, I can speak for you. You're not all that uncomfortable with that. You just kind of, that's just a part of our culture and we say that. But we would feel a little bit awkward about just walking up and introducing ourselves as saint. And if you don't believe me, just turn to your neighbor and introduce yourself. Amen. Not so quick. Hello, nice to meet you. I'm St. Chelsea. St. Wayne. St. Brian. <laughs> There's an awkwardness that comes to that. Or an awkwardness that comes with that. But the truth be known, that's what the Lord called us to be. Saints. He called us to be saints. So we, like David, may struggle at times trying to figure this out, but the Bible is replete with reference after reference to the word saint. The Old Testament contains many, many references to the word saint. I'm going to read just a few verses or a little bit of each verse. Psalm 30 and 4 says, Sing unto the Lord, O ye saints of his. Psalm 31, 23 says, O love the Lord, all ye his saints. Psalms 34 and 9 says, O fear the Lord, ye his saints. Psalms 37, 28 says, For the Lord loveth judgment and forsaketh not his saints. 
Psalms 50 and 5 says, Gather my saints together unto me. Psalms 132 and 9 says, Let thy priests be clothed with righteousness, and let thy saints shout for joy. Psalms 132 and 16 says, I will also clothe her priests with salvation, and her saints shall shout aloud for joy. Psalms 145 and 10 says, All thy works shall praise thee, O Lord, and thy saints shall bless thee. Psalms 116 and 15 says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. There's no higher calling on earth than to be called a saint of God. I've been born again. I've been separated. I've been called out of the world and into his marvelous light. I've been called a saint unto God. It's not just a title. It's not something that we go get a plaque made and put on our desk or set it over the the doorway. We've been called out. There is an anointing of God. I can only find a handful of places in Scripture. And and I, I, I say this carefully, but just stay with me. There's only a handful of places in Scripture where someone is called to the ministry. There are references to that, and I'm not negating or, or denying that. But there's just a handful of places in all the Scripture where somebody is called to the ministry. But there are dozens of places where we are called to be saints. Praise God. And saints of the Most High. As I mentioned earlier, Paul makes one reference after another to this high and holy calling. And he addresses one church body after another church body. And he often salutes them with this reminder of their true identity. Paul was not trying to be, uh, Paul was not trying to just sweep them off their feet with accolades. In every one of his epistles, we read that he is writing to the saints, he's writing to the church. And so I know that that you know this, but let me just remind you, that's why you can't find salvation in the epistles because salvation is found in Acts. The epistles are not written to sinners. The epistles are written to the church. It's not written to the lost. It's written to those that are already saved. And so he is addressing the churches. And so I, I just want to remind us that he's not addressing a group of preachers. This is not a group of ministers, but he's addressing the churches. Romans 1 and 7. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. There it is. Grace to you and peace from the Lord our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul, in his introduction, wanted to remind them that you have been called out. You have been called to be saints. In 1 Corinthians 1 and 2, under the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. Man, he's not trying to fluff them up and lift them up. He's not trying to butter them up. He's just trying to remind them there's a high and a holy calling that is upon your life. Ephesians 1 and 18, in the eyes that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. In 1 Thessalonians 2 and 12, he says that you would walk worthy of God who hath called you unto his kingdom kingdom and his glory. He has called us to this. This is not something that we have wiggled our way into. This is not a position we're trying to shoehorn ourselves into, but God, when he filled us with his spirit, has placed a calling on us. And the purpose of the ministry is to help us realize our identity and recognize who we are. Second Timothy 1 and 9, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, 
which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. He didn't call us because we were gifted. He didn't call us because we were talented. He didn't call us because we were this or that. He called us because he sees something in us. I can use that and make that pliable in my hand. And I say this with the utmost respect. To every ministry leader in our church or any ministry leader that may be watching us online, amen, the most important thing in your life, the most important calling is not your calling to a certain ministry role within the body of Christ. I thank God every day. I thank the Lord for the people in this church that give of themselves, that raise their hand and sign up for ministry roles in our church to lead connect groups, to lead us in various ministries that we have within the context of our church. Amen. But the highest calling is not the title that you have been given The high by us. The highest calling that you have in the world is that when the Lord called you out, he called you to be his saint. Hallelujah. And so we could with grand assurance say yes I am Saint Steve Boyd I am Saint this or that there is nothing more important in the kingdom of God there is nothing more important in the local church than a faithful saint amen I really mean this from my heart local churches that dot our fellowship around the world have stood the test of time because of saints, saints, amen. I really mean this from my heart. Jude, Jude prophesied saying, behold, the Lord cometh with 10,000s of his preachers. He's coming with 10,000s of his greatest prophets. That's not what he said. Jew prophesied and said, the Lord is coming with 10,000s, plural, of his saints. Because before we, I don't get ahead of myself, but before we were ever called to do anything else in this world, we were first called to be a saint. Amen. After we received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, the Lord has called people to do incredible things to be uh, church planners and, and to be global missionaries. And, and my goodness, to think about if you listen to the message of Brother Bernard on Thursday night of General Conference, my Lord, the stories that he shared of his mom and dad and the families and, and to think about all of the other missionary families that he mentioned in the, uh, in the framework of that message to those that had given so much to the kingdom of God. I looked at my wife during that service. I know this wasn't the intention of Brother Bernard, but I looked at my wife and I said I feel like I've done nothing when I look at the sacrifices and the things that these wonderful people have done but before they accomplish any of those things before they accomplish any of those things they were called to be saints before they were sent to be a foreign missionary before they were sent to be a North American missionary or before they were sent to teach a Sunday school class or before they were sent to sing a song or to lead praise and worship or be a musician, they were first called saints. John on the Isle of Patmos, when he could have been feeling sorry for himself, 
when he could have been curled up in a fetal position wondering what in the world was going wrong, he availed himself to the spirit, the power, the presence of God. And because of that, we have the book of Revelation and John on the Isle of Patmos in Revelation 19 and 7 said, let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the lamb has come and his wife have made herself ready. In verse number eight, he says, and to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. Praise God. The saints of God, you and I, are going to be at the center of everything that the Lord does. We're not lost in the mix on some no-name list. No, no, no. <laughs> Amen. Not at all. We're saints. Saints of the Most High. I'm going to ask our musicians to come, and I want to uh, come to a close here, but I, I realize that this could leave us with a question then. If, if, if saints, if that is the highest calling, then what are these other things? What are these other moving parts that, that, that Hebrews talks to us about? This five-fold ministry that, that Paul talks about in Ephesians. I believe the entire concept of the fivefold ministry, I know that for the sake of time and for the sake of this message tonight, I left out 10 verses of Ephesians 4, and you can thank me for that later. But if you will go back and read those 10 verses, you will notice that verses 1 through 10 set the stage for verses 11, 12. Verses 1 through 10 prepares us for Ephesians 4, 11, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, and for the edifying of the body of Christ. And so if I could just use a borrowed illustration... The illustration of the five-fold ministry, the thumb, that represents the apostles that is connected and touches all other ministries. Apostles. The index finger represents the prophets because the index finger gives direction. It points. The prophet, the spirit, and the role of a prophet gives direction. The middle finger represents the call and the role of the evangelist because the middle finger is the longest finger. It reaches the furthest. And the ministry of an evangelist reaches further than these other ministries. The ring finger represents pastors which come in covenant with a local congregation, the local church. Amen. The ring finger is a covenant finger. And that represents pastors because pastors are in covenant with the local church. Can I just tell you as your pastor tonight, I'm not here because this is my job. I'm not here because I felt obligated. My wife didn't have to kick me out the door tonight and say, you got to go. Amen, I'm here tonight because I came in covenant with you many, many years ago. Amen, the little finger represents the teacher and with that teaching and the teaching ability brings balance to the whole ministry. So we have the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teacher and all of them together bring balance. But the ministry and the leadership of the church is given for one purpose, for one purpose, and that is for the maturing of the saints. 
Amen. I don't know how to say this except just to say it. And I hope it just comes out right. And my wife is not going to breathe until I get this out now. But I am not just preaching to you to try to save you. But I am preaching to me every time I preach because I'm trying to be saved as well. And I can't tell you how many times through the years, not just behind this pulpit but in others, that while I've been preaching things that I feel like the Lord had already given me, and I'm a man, a minister, my culture or my, my habit is to preach with what is referred to as manuscript notes. I write everything down. I don't say everything I write, but I write everything down because I, I want to stay on track. I want to try to make everything make sense. But while I am teaching and preaching many times, the Spirit of the Lord will open my eyes to something that I did not see until I was teaching and preaching to someone else. Amen. That is why they're ministry. That's why we have a ministry. So I don't come here with all the knowledge. I don't have every answer. I, I don't even pretend to do that. But here is the, the, the intention and the purpose of the ministry is that we are maturing the saints. Who are the saints? That's all of us. Because we were called to be saints before we were called to do anything else. And so here it is. The work and the purpose of the ministry is to mature the saints so that they then can turn and do the work of the ministry. Amen. I want that to settle in on us. Because you see, church members, or saints rather, are not just church members who attend and give an offering. Church members are not just people that come and clap their hands and go through the, 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 the uh, antics of all of our worship. But biblical saints, are you ready? Biblical saints are able ministers of the New Testament. And so the church can't look at the pastor or the church can't look at the ministers in the church and assume that they are the only ones that have the, the obligation or feel or should feel the obligation for evangelism, for teaching Bible studies, for reaching other people, amen? And so th this, is, this is not a stage, well, this is a, a platform, but it's not a stage for entertainment where you just pay the admission at the door and you just come in and say, well, man, I sure hope this goes all right. And, and then we critique everything that goes on and say, well, I don't know if I like that song or I'm not sure that message made any sense. And, and then we kind of go home with our little list of yeses and noes or yeas and nays. We're called to be saints, and so when we come, the work of the ministry is to mature us so that when we then in turn can go and do the work of the ministry because biblical saints are able ministers of the gospel. That's why I remind you often that when you meet someone in need, don't just hand them a church card and say, you need to be here Sunday or you need to meet my pastor or you need to meet this person or you need to meet that person. If you're in a hospital and somebody needs prayer, you can't wait an hour for me to get there or somebody else in the church to get there. You are called. You are called to the Lord. There's an anointing upon you. Amen. First Chronicles 16. And Psalms 105, both use a common phrase. And that phrase is this. You're going to recognize this. Touch not mine anointed and do my prophets no harm. Mine anointed does not just simply refer to preachers. I've heard people say, Oh, you better not say nothing about them. That's a pastor. Or that's a preacher. 
Or that's an evangelist. That's a prophet. That's an apostle. You don't, don't, oh, no, 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 no. No, no. I agree with that. But that is not just a singular statement. Because long before a preacher was called to be a preacher, they were called to be saints. And the anointing of God is on you and me. There's a different calling upon us in many respects, but we're all first called to be saints. And so the purpose of the ministry, the purpose of our being here tonight, was to just add another little bit of wood to the fire. To remind us of who we are. Paul, what are you trying to do? Are you just trying to sweep us off our feet with these flowing words? No. To the saints at Ephesus. To the saints at Corinth. To the saints of Thessalonica. (laughs) To the saints of here. To the saints of there. He's trying to remind you who you are. Who you are. You can't forget who you are. The enemy would love it if we would. Oh yeah. He would love it if we would. But our purpose tonight is to cultivate, to dig around, to remind us that God has called us. I'm thankful for his high and holy calling, aren't you? Amen. Let's stand together.